Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm super excited to welcome our guest today, TJ McClurg. TJ is a physical therapist who has spent a lot of time working with sports injuries. Correct me if I'm wrong, TJ, and um, has worked actually with a lot of different types of athletes, um, specializes maybe in golf at this point. And yeah. has um, really worked with a lot of different types of athletes and that kind of thing. And we're going to talk not necessarily to athletes today, but we're going to talk about pain. And welcome to the show, TJ. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you for having me, Emily. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm actually excited to hear what you have to say. So a lot of our listeners are in my age group or a little older. I turned 40 uh, last month. And let's just say that, you know, all of my activities that I still do, I still love to um, weight train and run and all those things. But certainly, it doesn't always feel the same as it did when I was 20. And I was at a at a girls dinner last week with one of my friends from church. And she's in her late 20s. And she was talking about CrossFit and how she's never going to stop doing it and all these big lists and everything, which I used to do all of that. And I was like, never say never. You may someday, you know, not that you stop lifting weights, but it might look different someday. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And so I'm in my mid thirties and I can fully relate as well that it's not what it was 15 years ago. And it takes a lot more work and effort to kind of maintain doing all those things we love doing. That's right. So. And the warm up matters, right? The warm up matters a lot. Absolutely <laughs> matters. The warm up, the cool down, the, we're huh. not as, as pliable as we once were. So being more mindful with what we're doing, how we're going about it is huge. Sure. And we live in a, in a world today where um, we kind of accept pain as normal, number one. And also, we're very fast to pop pills. We can go to a doctor, a pill for an ill. Oh, you're just getting old. Here's a prescription for that when it comes to pain. Or furthermore, we, I, well, my personal opinion is a lot of times we will jump into surgery thinking it's going to be a magical fix. And sometimes that sometimes that helps and sometimes not so much. And so today we're going to focus on um, really p- controlling our pain without using medications. And this doesn't mean that you never, ever pop a, a an ibuprofen the rest of your life, but that's certainly not the case for a lot of people in dealing with their pain that are, are do depend on medication on a daily basis. And so um, will you tell us from a, a, your, your perspective as a physical therapist, how do you see it best or what are, how do your patients um, best respond when you use alternative methods to painkillers to help them manage and even heal that pain? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a really great way of framing it. And I think one of the biggest things for me is just giving, helping people get this understanding that, you know, by coming up with ways, whether it be through exercise or different modalities that we'll talk about, that they can really gain independence in their own kind of management and treatment of pain and not, you know, kind of reliance on certain medications or, you know, making a quick step towards a surgery that maybe could have been avoided. And I think that's the biggest thing is, is getting that kind of autonomy to be able to help work and 
fix yourself and be able to kind of make those changes and, and also be able to get out ahead of it and come up with preventative ways so that you don't ever get to that point. Um, yeah. You know, we, we see it a ton. We're all about prevention and, and um, you know, kind of taking the bull by the horns and thinking forward to be in, I don't want to say in control of our own health because that's only for God, but to have a better approach of what does the future look like and how can I take steps to be the healthiest that I possibly can? So, yeah, um, absolutely. What are, as far as, you know, let's give us a couple examples of some of your maybe most common pain or lingering injuries and that kind of thing that are a part of your practice. Yeah, absolutely. So from, if we look at it anatomically, I'd say back pain is usually the number one thing that that PTs see people for. Um, Obviously we see a lot of neck pain and then it works its way into the extremities as well. But when, when kind of looking at it from this approach, I think it's also really important to think of it from different systems as well. So whether it be muscular pain, joint pain, or nerve pain, that there's a lot of different things that people can do based on not just the area they're experiencing pain, but but the type of pain, because it, it really makes a difference on, you know, really what to do. So, you know, for example, with muscular pain, like we may feel, you know, tightness or tension in the calves, or, you know, a really common one we see is in the upper traps or the muscle that kind of connects your neck and your shoulder, where we all tend to hold our tension and our stress. Mm-hmm. Being able to identify that, hey, this you know, nece- isn't necessarily a pinch nerve. It's okay to be able to stretch it and to move it. And really, that's going to be the best way to go about addressing you know, some of that tightness or tension or, or even sharper pain is through gentle stretching, use of heat, um, use of different you know, massage treatments, whether it be going and seeing a massage therapist or seeing a physical therapist you know, dry needling or, you know, using your own techniques like a Theracane or, you know, massage gun, that there's just a lot of options out there, but being able to identify that, hey, with this muscular pain, I need to work on the muscle and, and it's okay to move it and it's okay to stretch it because we need to be able to be kind of pliable human beings. And when we're not, and we don't move the way we need to, it tends to end up manifesting in pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just one kind of example, but you know, it's, it, it's going to present differently than say pain that we feel in our joints or achiness there, or, you know, nerve pain that we may kind of attribute to say a sciatica, um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of different ways that we can go about addressing those depending on the type of pain it is. Yeah. One thing that I think sometimes, um, I know it's a little bit confusing for me and, um, and maybe I, I'm sure that I'm not alone, but I think like, let's, if I have back pain or neck pain or um, pain in my traps and that kind of thing, um, generally, it seems like a lot of people will, will go toward the chiropractic method first. Can you help us understand kind of the difference between what chiropractors focus on and what physical therapists focus on specifically when it comes to pain? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd say we have very similar eyes for what we're looking for and, and different ways to go about addressing that. There's a lot of really fantastic chiropractors out there. And I'd say more times than not, their focus is towards joints specifically. Um, that's not to say that that's the case, um, but with just different training, and I don't want to speak too much to you know all of their techniques because I'm not a chiropractor, but they're going through it through the lens they see, which a lot of times is, is very joint specific. Um, and PTs, I would say, speaking in a more generalization, tend to look at joints, but also muscles and, and you know, nervous system and, and 
my focus specifically is with the hands-on treatment, also trying to really integrate that exercise component to it as well. Because mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever had a patient that I've seen that didn't leave with at least a little bit of homework of things that they can do active in helping and assisting that. So I would say that we, we really have just different training and different approaches and different um, kind of application techniques, but we're really all kind of rowing in the same direction with trying to help people. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing for me is, is making sure that people also have kind of a role in their own therapy and a role in their own treatment, because being able to see someone and help you and, and, and work on those things is, is really important in a lot of instances, but there's always a role that we can play in our own kind of our, our own improvement and our own progress. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's talk about some of the modalities that you use in your practice. Um, when, you're dealing with a pain patient specifically from maybe old in injuries, tension, um, sports injuries, or lingering, you know, overuse injuries, that type of thing um, that I imagine come in to see you. What are some of the modalities that you find to be most helpful for um, medication-free pain management? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the two that I've specifically gotten certified in that I tend to utilize a lot are the Graston technique, which is a soft tissue mobilization technique where it uses a stainless steel instrument to be able to work through different muscle tension. Um, and I would say I use that primarily for muscle pain, but also a lot for joint pain, which is not something we think about um, because any muscle tension, you know, using say the quadriceps in the knee, for example, if we're really tense in our, in our quadriceps, then that creates a lot of extra shearing force across the knee joint. So say someone with arthritis in their knee, we know that the, the surface of the knee may be degenerated, but there's a lot of other factors that go into it. So with me using that stainless steel tool, I'll work on the muscles and the tendons and sometimes even the ligaments surrounding a joint to try to release pressure off of that joint surface so that we can improve their motion, we can improve their overall mobility, and we can decrease their pain through those areas. Mm -hmm. And then the other one that I tend to utilize a lot is kinesiology tape. Um, I really am become a big proponent of this in the last three or four years. I'd say the, the first five years of my practice, I probably only used it twice because I just didn't fully understand how to use it. Um, and for those that aren't totally familiar, it's the kind of different colored, multicolored stretchy tape that you'll see on athletes a lot of times. And I think the biggest key with it is understanding how to utilize it and being able to tape in the right direction more than anything. So I'll tell a quick, quick story about how I knew I was going to start using it a lot. When I went to the continuing education course, they taped it down at my pelvis and pulled it up to my rib cage and asked me to do 10 sit-ups and I had no issue with it at all. And then they pulled the tape off, they reapplied it from my ribs down to my pelvis and I couldn't even do one sit-up and it was really the most odd sensation I've ever experienced. Wow, huh. What the explanation as to why that was is the direction the tape either inhibits or facilitates a muscle contraction. So it's helping or trying to restrict the way that a muscle is able to use. So when we utilize it, we need to be very mindful that we're trying to help certain muscles. So for using our knee example again, I would use that tape where I would tape it up at the top of the thigh or mid thigh and I'm always pulling down towards the kneecap and then ending kind of on the shin when I do that. Because when that tape kind of recoils, it's pulling back in the same direction that the quadriceps would work. So it's helping to facilitate that contraction. 
And by doing that, we're able to help the muscle be a little bit more efficient. We're helping give stability to the joint and we're able to kind of restore and regain function and really decrease pain right away. I, I don't, I don't ever think of it as the end all be all treatment, but it's really impactful for being able to make a, an immediate improvement. And for some people that may be the difference in being able to run without pain or being able to go on a hike without pain. And, and that's a huge deal. So in that case, would you, you know, using the runner or hiker as an example, would you have them, I guess you say wear, wear the tape while they're participating in that activity? Absolutely. And okay. so the, the, the kind of origin of this tape and when it really came to popularity was in the 1990s. The, I don't know if you remember the famous uh, duo, Misty May Trainer and Carrie Walsh, uh, women's Olympic sand volleyball team, they would always have it on their shoulders. Uh, I don't know specifically the injury, but they you know, were constantly having it on there. And you know, like anything else, when we see pro athletes and people performing at the highest level using something, it piques the rest of our curiosity. So mm -hmm. it's really designed to be kind of flexible and durable. You can shower with it. It can stay on for three to five days. And it's, it's best use is with activity and, and kind of supporting return to activity or return to performance. Awesome. Um, something that has been like kind of the age old um, treatment for inflammation, what is acute inflammation and, and that kind of thing is this is alternating ice and heat. Um, do you use that in your practice? And how, is that something that's still effective? Or is that what like, oh, that was like what our grandparents did? <laughs> I still think there's a place for it. I always tell people I, you know, I don't expect this to be the end all be all healing, but there's important principles when it comes to ice and heat. Um, you know, the, the kind of old adage is, you know, ice in the first two weeks, because we're looking to control inflammation. Certainly still is the case. If you sprain your ankle, you should be looking for an ice pack and going through the, the rest ice compression elevation uh, example to control uh, inflammation we're experiencing. So there is still a ton of value in that. And it also helps with pain control as well. So for some people being able to, it helps to kind of numb some of the receptors in that area. And same thing with heat, where there's certainly value in using it. Applying heat is a uh, vasodilator, meaning it helps to draw blood flow to the area. So it does, it helps with getting muscles feeling looser. It helps with being able to kind of help with kind of restorative and healing properties in that sense. Um, so they're really good adjuncts to other things you can use. So I mean, personally, I like using heat more and, and I avoid ice unless I, you know, am really in the acute phase. Um, but every individual is going to be a little bit different. But the one thing that you mentioned was the, the kind of the, almost a contrast therapy, which is one I love as well. And that's using ice for anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes and then using heat so that we're able to still address inflammation. But in my experience with using that, you tend to feel looser as well. So you're kind of getting a little bit of the best of both worlds with that. Yeah. I, um, we're, we're those crazy people. We sleep on, um, pamphamats. So I'm all about some warmth while I sleep, especially. Yeah. I it's hear you there. It helps my, it, it, it keeps my back loosened up for sure. And it's especially great in, um, when, when I feel like a little bit sick, I'll, I'll put it up to the, the highest level it will actually help um, help the body maintain a fever, which is opposite of what most people do, that 
ultimately helps you to fight things off quicker um, versus fighting the fever. So anyway, that's a whole other, whole other thing, but um, it, it, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I was just gonna say it, it, it does seem to help me get over things really quickly. Yeah. And the other thing too, is, you know, we've talked, talked about stretching and we've talked about doing all these things is our muscles are never going to be more kind of willing to cooperate with stretching than when they're warmed up. So, you know, whether it be directly applying heat packs or using a hot shower before you go do that upper trap stretch, we're going to be a lot more kind of pliable and willing to stretch after being able to use that. So it's a great way to, to help in a lot of different facets. Yeah. Um, anything else that you want to share that you use? Uh, I mean, obviously you've got a lot of tools in your toolbox, but that you find to be specifically helpful for pain. Yeah. So for pain, especially with, with chronic pain and elevated pain levels, electrical stim stimulation is another useful tool in that as well. Um, what it does is there's this, what we call the gate theory of, of pain relief. And so it is applied to the surface of the skin and it's low level kind of electrical stimulation that really just feels very relaxing. And the way it's impactful is it's received by the same kind of uh, nerve signals that carry pain signals back to the brain. So by being able to kind of apply this electrical stimulation, it actually creates almost an override to our system where it helps to decrease pain. So, you know, especially for my patients that I see that are in a really acute flare up or have had a really nagging chronic issue that that gives them uh, you know, fits. It's a really effective way to be able to help them to accomplish more and be able to do more to kind of take bigger strides in their treatment or their therapy without having that kind of painful backlash, if you would. So that's another mm -hmm. one we'll use as well. Awesome. That sounds really helpful. Um, let's talk about exercise and and some myths, you know, we're talking about kind of a specific age group. We're not talking to very many uh, teens and 20 year olds on the podcast. Um, I think that a lot of times we associate exercise with with pain, but that's not necessarily the case. So what are some of the best exercise tips and, and maybe myths around um, exercise that you're that you see? in your patients or just in a, the broader community? Well, I love the way that you introduced that because I feel I kind of fight this notion every day is that it should be no pain, no gain. If I'm not feeling it, I'm not accomplishing anything. And that's just not the truth. And I think that's also what turns a lot of people off to exercise because not many of us are gonna willingly sign up to, to be put our, putting ourselves in pain. So really, that is an old adage that I want to be thrown out the window because you don't have to be getting a big sweat going or feel the burn. You don't have to have those things to be accomplishing what you need to accomplish. And the other thing I think is, is a lot of times exercising should be a little bit more or exercise in general. The concept of it is a little more encompassing that we think of. It doesn't mean that you have to go on a run and otherwise that was exercise for you. It could be that you went on, that you went on and, and performed a, you know, light stretching or yoga program because strength may not be your issue, but mobility might. And so that can be the most useful form of exercise for you. Mm -hmm. Done through aquatics, right? Pool programs, just going in and walking in the pool or, or doing some deep water aerobic exercise, going for walks is exercise. There's a lot of different forms. It doesn't have to all be, you know, hit training and you know, orange theory, which don't get me wrong. Those are my favorite forms of exercise, but 
and doesn't have to fit into a narrow box. We can find a lot of different ways to be active. And it's critical because the American Heart Association did a study and they said that being able to adhere to 75 minutes of exercise per week averages about two years of added life expectancy. So 75 mm -hmm. minutes a week is really not a big ask. That's what, 15 minutes a day for five of the seven days. That's not right. too demanding to be able to accomplish. And I think, you know, that's really critical. And, and to be able to get to that point, in my opinion, that one of the best ways to do that is finding a way to exercise that you enjoy. Because if it feels like punishment, we're not going to go through with it. So mm -hmm. for me, it may be going out and walking the golf course and playing 18 holes and being able to get some exercise in that way or, or weightlifting, which I enjoy doing. But it doesn't right. have to look like that for anyone else. It can be going for a walk. There's just a lot of different ways to be able to accomplish that. And I think we, we kind of need to, to maybe broaden our view of what exercise is and be more inclusive to that so that you can find kind of forms and niches of exercise that, that fit you and keep you active and healthy. Right. And arguably, especially for women, especially as they age, that go hard that for an hour type of exercise is actually really harmful for our bodies. In a lot of ways, it can be disruptive to hormones. And especially for those that are trying to accomplish fat loss, it can actually work against us, especially as we get older. And so I think that's a misconception too, that the longer and the harder, the better, not just from a pain perspective, but from a, um, from a, a results perspective. And that's, that's just frankly, not the case. So yeah, um, it's, it's and we've talked really about that myth. a lot on the podcast in the past. So, yeah. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. I, I love that. I think that's I think that's really critical. And you know, and I just along that same line, I think strength training is really important. But as soon as I stay str say strength training to a lot of patients, I see their eyes get big, and they think I'm going to hand them a 50 pound dumbbell and ask them to do. It doesn't have to be heavy weights or anything like that to accomplish strength training. And Mm -hmm. And frankly, it's not the best way to do it because, you know, especially in the over 65 population, that's where we tend to see kind of sarcopenia or, you know, muscle wasting occurring. And, and quite honestly, I would say the over 65 population is the most important population to participate in a strength training program, but it's got to yeah. be done in a way that's mindful and purposeful to avoid injury and, and to kind of be able to, to do it safely. And I think that creates a barrier a lot of times is just realizing that, hey, I should be doing strength training, but no, it doesn't have to mean lifting, picking up heavy weights at the gym, that it can be done with, you know, body weight and resistance bands and ways that are a lot more forgiving on our body and a lot better for us. Yeah. I, I, we were, I was just talking about a statistic yesterday that, um, I think it's something like 75% and this is not an actual like hard, fast statistic, but it, it, there's more than half, at least, of women over 65 can't lift more than 10 pounds. And I'm just flabbergasted wow. by that because um, obviously uh, we need we need muscle mass for bone health because we need that um, the the uh, the muscles contracting on the bones actually helps to strengthen them. But also that's that is really that's, that's a frail situation to be in and, and asking for injury, because obviously there's times in our lives where when we have to order, we have to lift more than 10 pounds. And so, um, I'm a huge proponent of strength training myself as well. And you're right though. It doesn't have to be, um, CrossFit and certainly doesn't have to be bodybuilding and that kind of thing. There's so many ways to, 
work our muscles to strengthen them. That does not include anything that's incredibly um, intense or, you know, an overload kind of thing, nor does it have to, again, be an hour long. Uh, 15 minutes right. of weight training can be incredibly effective. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's mind blowing to me, though, the misconception around it, because, you know, we take something like sitting and standing from a chair, which most of us take for granted. But as we age, if we aren't mindful about those things, that becomes really difficult, and it can become limiting, you know, low surfaces, chairs without arms. And so just practicing the activity is a great way to be able to build strength for the activity. So doing, you know, chair squats with no weight at all to keep the strength in the legs. But it's a it's a really huge and critical part of just maintaining our independence and maintaining mm-hmm. kind of the lifestyle that we want to live for you know the entirety of our lives. Yeah, you you bring to mind one of my favorite people who I just realized he he's also a patient there. He's been on the podcast before. He's in his 80s. He's a retired physician. He's one of the greatest brains I know. And um, we had a world famous physician here not long ago. And it was really great watching the two of them talk because they're both, um, you know, kind of older than the rest of us. And they were talking about their exercise regimen and and my, our 80 year old friend was sharing about, I think he said he does like a hundred chair squats every day. I mean, he has this regiment of, of very functional things that he does. And he's probably the strongest, most active, most, uh, most mentally astute 85 year olds I've ever met in my life. So there's something to that. <laughs> I, I love it. And, and it's what I aspire to try to, to work towards. It's That's great. right. That's right. So we don't have to be intense, but we need to be moving and do something. And, you know, alternatively, I think on the other side, gentle movement and activity and doing these things like you're talking about can actually help us with that inflammation and cut down on the pain, overall inflammation, chronic inflammation. Um, And that can be a huge relief for pain as well. So um, absolutely. For those that are sitting around saying, okay, well, this all sounds great and I know I need to be more active, but I just don't know what I like and and it's just really hard to get started with anything. I know that you're a big proponent of of community, um, being active with others in your communities. And so what are some general ideas that you have for ways that, that you've encouraged your patients to get more active? Yeah, absolutely. So, so a couple here locally and then some nationally as well. So on the broader scale, Silver Sneakers is a great one for the over 65 community to be able to take advantage of. You know, it gives you kind of access to be able to, to work on and, and work at a lot of these things at no cost to the individual. So that's one I'm always a huge fan of and, and talk to, like I said, my over 65 patients to be able to take advantage of to get access to these different exercise facilities and I think is great. Um, from the you know more local side here through Fleet Feet, there's a no boundaries program that focuses on getting people that aren't necessarily experienced runners back to a position to be able to do that, whether it be because they had injury and are working back from it or they're trying it the first time. And they do this through kind of coaching so that we're not just going out there trying to run five miles the first time and finding out that we're injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we actually do a lot of screening with those types of people to make sure that they are 
kind of strong enough in their hips, mobile enough in their ankles, and kind of the list goes on, but to make sure that we're kind of physically capable of being able to accomplish those activities. And then, you know, just even kind of newer, exciting sports like pickleball, you know, it's seeing it pop up all over. There's a ton of local (laughs) leagues, and it's a great way for those that say maybe love tennis but have gotten away from the game to be able to do it. I'm 33, and I personally love it, so there's no... There should be no age stigma around it. It's it's just a great sport and a great way to be able to keep it. But it's also more inviting than maybe some of the other sports. So mm-hmm. there's a ton of different ways out there. And as we said earlier, it doesn't have to look like anything that you don't want it to. It should be fun and engaging for you. So yeah, a lot of different I, options out there. I know a lot of people in a wide age group that um, that use that, that love pickleball. So. Um, in fact, one of my friends that was a state champion tennis player is now a worldwide pickleball player. So, you know, <laughs> I love that. I love it. We yeah. probably could do a whole podcast just on pickleball. We probably could. I don't really know anything about it. So you'd be teaching me a lot, but um, great. <laughs> um, as we get ready to close TJ, um, I'd love for you just to give any, any final um, thoughts and also how it, for those of our listeners who might be local um, anything that you offer in your practice that you might want to share with them as well? Yeah, absolutely. So we are located here off Renola Road in Winston-Salem, kind of by Wake Forest. And you know, with the podcast for your podcast listeners, we offer uh, 10% off of an initial evaluation. And that's usually about 90 minutes where we try to be comprehensive and um, just really sort through what's going on. And, and I think the important takeaway is, is that there should be something for everyone. And regardless of level of of kind of health or fitness it's all about accomplishing what's important to you and you know we love being able to serve people so that we can help them hit their goals whatever that may be if it's running a marathon or if it's feeling healthy enough to go for just a walk around the neighborhood um, that that's really important and and being able to kind of control pain is a huge first step in that and then kind of getting guidance on how to properly exercise and maintain is another big step so yeah that is kind of our our focus and our mission And I think about it, certainly all of us, I know for me, you know, I love to run, but I know um, over the years I've had to work on my gait and that kind of thing. And there can be a lot of guidance and help as far as, oh, the reason your quad feels like that or the inside of your knee feels like that is because you do this thing, right? So um, that can be really helpful to get an expert uh, to help guide um, through that pain and, and to help it to um, alleviate as well. So um, appreciate your expertise, TJ. You guys, you guys help a lot of people over there and we're very grateful to have you a part of our community. So thanks well, so thank much. You. And yeah, and we'll catch up again next time. Thank you. That sounds great. Thank you, Emily.